Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. We will not have slides tonight, so if you want to be opening your Bibles to John, the 11th chapter, we'll be studying, uh, at least in the beginning point, that'll be our, our text, and we'll go to other passages too, but John, the 11th chapter tonight, and it is good to see each of you. It really is good to be together on a Sunday evening, and and uh, many of those that were walking in, uh, we've had technical difficulties with our simulcast. And so uh, we appreciate each of you that participate uh, on a rotation to be a part of the simulcast. And we're reminded tonight of how beneficial it is, uh, and especially on the Sunday nights that, that we otherwise would have a spike in attendance. It gives room for everyone, and, and what a blessing it is. And we appreciate our, our men that, that work a lot of hours uh, to have our technical part of our facility set up and uh, they just continually work and work and we appreciate them. A reminder to the widows and widowers that immediately after service tonight there'll be three buses parked out here and so if you can just as amen is said be making your way there to the buses and you'll enjoy the Christmas lights riding through those and then also time with the melting pot class here uh, with desserts and coffee and etc. And so uh, as we said this morning, we love you, and, and hopefully this is one small way that that can be expressed, and, and that time this evening, uh, everybody's looking forward to that, and so just a reminder of that. We mentioned several things this morning that have taken place immediately this weekend that were just tremendous blessings. I'd like to mention one more going back to Wednesday night before we get into the lesson. Fried Hardeman's youth ministry class, it's the fundamentals class of youth ministry, uh, came over Wednesday evening and, and spent about an hour uh, where, where Philip and Jody spoke with them and shared some fundamentals of what we do here in youth ministry. And then they went over and were a part of the 6th through 12th grade gathering on Wednesday night and then spent a little time visiting even after that and then drove back the two and a half hours. And uh, it's just such a blessing uh, to be a part of, of a congregation that loves our youth and has such great youth and, and that, that what is being done uh, can be an encouragement to train future youth ministers to say, here's one way it can be done. And, and what a blessing it is uh, to be able to have Philip uh, in his leadership for several years now as a part of that. And uh, we love and appreciate, uh, we have many adults, about 28 adults that, that work every week uh, with our youth. And, and, and as I've said, we love and appreciate our youth. What a, what a powerful part of the congregation that they are. As we studied through <clears throat> portions of John, the 11th chapter this morning, it's very obvious that even though it is a tremendous story of resurrection, scattered all throughout that story is also what you have to have before you can have resurrection, and that is death. And mixed in that story, God doesn't, God doesn't tell the story to, to just kind of smooth over death as if it's no big deal. I'm going to have a resurrection one day. You guys ought to not worry about this. But instead, he deals with it in a very straightforward fashion. He describes the tears, the groanings, the, the troubledness. He describes the various reactions to grief. And tonight... I hope and I pray that what we can share from God's Word would be an encouragement to all of us. And it may be that right now in your life, you may not be experiencing any kind of deep grief, but I assure you there are some things from God's Word that we will be a much better church family 
if we learn these things about grief so that we can be the support that we need to be. There would be many here that you have experienced loss and the grief is very real to you and especially this time of the year. Most people that have had significant loss in their life say that there is a great portion of themselves that dread the weeks between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas because there is a lot of, of emptiness that is felt during that time. And so tonight, we hope that our study uh, this, this evening will just recognize uh, the, the loss and the pain that you feel. And in some way in that, we can see from God's Word some wisdom and support, but also as a church family that we could recognize it and say we love you and we want to support you and we'd love to help you any way that we can uh, through this difficult time. You don't get over grief. Grief is the result of a significant loss. And so what we have to do is we have to learn to find a meaningful life in spite of the loss. It doesn't mean we forget the loss. If I can just forget this and get it out of my mind, then I can have a meaningful life. No, something that is that valuable to us, we don't forget it. And so it's finding a, a meaningful life that has purpose and is invested in the present and looking forward to the future in spite of the loss. But for all that, that think they, they want to jump out there and, and they've got the magic words to say, two or three times tonight, I just want to give you the warnings that usually people that think they have the magic words to say end up saying the things that are horribly said. I think about... Tracy, my wife's maternal grandmother who's been deceased for several years now. She had a daughter to pass away. They had driven from the funeral out to the cemetery. She was getting out of the cemetery, out of a car, and she was on the way to the burial. Her emotions were very heavy and very raw because of the tender heart that was carrying a broken burden. And a woman came up, kind of peppy, and said to her, Ruby, I know exactly how you feel. And Ruby looked at her and said, you don't have any idea how I feel. Now you can say that might have been a rude response, but she stated the truth. Just because you've had a loss in your life doesn't mean that you know how someone else feels that has a loss in their life. The truth is we all grieve differently. We all feel things differently. And the truth is a person that's grieving one thing later on in their life may have another tremendous loss and they may grieve that loss in a different way than they grieved the first one. And one reason why no losses are the same, you can have a woman that she say her husband passes away and then another woman, her husband passes away and you say, well, they know how each other feels. No, they don't. This family here, this couple here, they may have had the, the last year that they had together, it may have been the best year their marriage has ever had. This couple here, the last year that they had together may have been the worst year of their marriage. The last day they saw each other might have been a fight. And the last words they said to each other might have been something unkind. You think those two widows are going to grieve the same? Absolutely not. Listen. As I begin this, I give you a few of those illustrations and facts to throw this out. I hope that all of us, at least now, at the beginning of this lesson, we're saying, grief is not something simple. 
And any time you try to oversimplify it, you have made terrible mistakes. And any time you try to deal with it in a casual manner, you're going to deal with it in mishaps. Instead, the reality is grief is one of the hardest things we'll ever go through. It's some of the hardest work you could ever do. You can go all day long and feel like you accomplished nothing and go to bed worn out and exhausted and then not sleep well. To get up the next day to do it all again. And so what is it from God's holy word that, that we could learn or that we should learn about grief? Is In just a moment, we're going to look at John 11. We're going to mention a few things, but can I say this just to get your mind thinking beyond even just death, which is a tremendous loss. But when we think about what produces grief, I want to just share with you a list of some things. A loss of job, if it's a job that someone loved dearly, creates grief. Now, I know some of you would celebrate if you lost your job. They're not talking about that. The, the, loss, the loss of status, a terminal illness, not after the person dies, a terminal illness begins the process of grief because we're grieving the loss of health. Natural disaster produces grief. Divorce produces grief. Midlife crisis produces grief. The loss of good health to have a family member that is addicted oftentimes produces grief. Living with a depressed person or being the depressed person can produce grief. Spiritual conflicts in families will oftentimes produce grief. Spiritual struggles within a church family can produce grief. Abortion, unwanted pregnancy, just the loss of a close friend where there's tension and there's no longer friendship there. Of course, the death of a family or friend. The discovery of a disability or Alzheimer's or dementia miscarriages, even, of course, the loss of a pet or some kind of prized possession. You see, the fact is anything that we held valuable and dear to us, anything that has the potential of creating a mountaintop experience when it is lost creates a valley. And that is what can create grief. So we look in John, the 11th chapter. If you have your Bible, look at John, the 11th chapter. You remember that we are told in verse 3 that therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And we know that that one is Lazarus and we know that he dies. And I'd like for you to notice as we read in verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to what? Comfort them concerning their brother. Now let's, let's deal with that last phrase first. And I know it's kind of dealing with the obvious, but let's just go ahead and mention it. Why was it concerning the brother? Well, let's think for just a moment. What had they been through recently with their brother? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he had been sick, but we know that these sisters had been through a period of time of caring for a sick brother. Then they also went through the day that their brother died. And then in that, they would also have gone through a funeral and a burial. You remember when Jesus showed up on the scene in verse 34? Remember when he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. In other words, they'd gone through the process of picking out a place of burial. They'd gone through that day of, of a funeral and a burial. 
And now when we pick up in this story in John 4 and, and John 11, we pick up in this story where now, if you will, it's the aftermath. But by today's culture, this is when a lot of people would say today, hey, the days of visitation and the funeral and the burial's over. Let's get back to normal. Everything's fine. But notice all of this grief that we're reading about is after the burial. And their emotions are not all fine. And the fact is, that's okay. It's fine that their emotions are not fine. You know, when I did several grief-type training and seminars in the past, one of the things that I guess I'll never forget, and so I guess it made one of the biggest impacts on me, was a study that was done where they asked children, grown children of a deceased father, how long do you think your mother ought to grieve? And some of their answers was as short as two weeks. And many of their answers were measured in just a few months. And yet we know that widows grieve as deeply at the end of the first year as they did at the end of the first week. And we know that that grief can go on measured in years instead of in weeks. In America, we have a mindset, typically. I want you to imagine it's a hot stove. In America, we have a mindset that says, if it hurts, just get away from it. And so we will do anything we can do in America to get away from pain. I want to take an extended vacation. I want to tell my boss that I want to work overtime. I work two jobs. I want to take enough drugs that I can numb myself so that I can't feel it. Listen, I'm not saying that we ought to do things that tries to create more pain in grief, but I do beg you to realize this. It is very unhealthy to say what I want to do is I want to get away from the pain of grief. It's not healthy. It's a tremendous loss. We don't run from it. We don't go over it. We don't go around it. When Jesus, the Lord, in, in Psalm 23 talked about the valley of the shadow of death he used the word through we walk through that valley and the good news is the Lord is our shepherd and he walks with us through it I'm not saying that to make light of it I'm not saying well then then it's easy no it's still very difficult but that's what we must do and so we see that this is what Mary and Martha are doing when Jesus comes to the scene He's dead, he's buried, and they're still grieving. But I'd like for you to notice what the community, the Jewish community was doing around them. You see there in verse 19, they had come to their house and they were with them to comfort them. And the word comfort does not mean you take away the loss. And, and someone says, well, of course, we know that, David. Why would you say it that way? I'm saying it that way to beg you to... to, to grasp this and to practice this. The next time someone is hurting, you don't need to think about what can I do to make them not hurt anymore? Because then that's when you're going to say something silly. And that's, that's when you're not going to do anything because what are you going to say? 
You would say, well, I don't know what to do because I can't take away the loss. Of course you can't take away the loss. You can't think of something to say that makes the pain go away. And then so if we're not careful, what we do then is we, we kind of, in just a symbolic way, we kind of throw up our hands and say, well, there's nothing I can do to help the person. Yes, there is. We can go, the word comfort means to come up beside of. We can come and be with them. We can be a support. We can literally hurt with them and be a tremendous support. I love the story about the neighbors that were very close to each other and, and there's a young family and an elderly couple and, and, and when the, the lady passed away, the, the mother noticed one day shortly after her little four-year-old had been gone for a few minutes and so she started looking and the little four-year-old come out of his, his house and, and down and across the yard and, and she said, where, where have you been? She said, Mr. Smith's having a really, really bad day today. He's real sad. And the mother said, really? She said, well, what, what, what did you do? And she said, oh, I, I helped him. And the mother kind of cringed, you know, things. She said, well, what did you say to help him? And, and the little four-year-old said, oh, I, I didn't say anything. I just crawled up in his lap and I helped him cry. We need to be more like four-year-olds. Can we just go and sit with someone to just say, I'm here. I don't have any magic words. I don't, I don't have any actions that I can do that, that can make all of this go away. But I can do this. I can love you enough that I will walk with you and I will be available for you. And when we see things, we don't need to ask, what can I do? Just do them. And when there's nothing that we can say, just sit in silence. I know you're already thinking this, so let's go ahead and read it, okay? Drop back with me to Job, the second chapter, just in case there's somebody here not thinking this. Let's make sure we all have this example in our mind. Do you realize if Job's friends would have done what they did the first week, we wouldn't have probably the rest of the book of Job. But the reason we have the rest of the book of Job, other than God giving us tremendous teachings here, is because his friends became bad friends when they opened their mouth. When you go to Job, the first chapter, you see at the very beginning of the first chapter, a very righteous man. Do righteous people have significant losses in their life? Yes, we've talked about that now for a couple of weeks. Yes, yes, and yes. And Job is a perfect example of that hardship. And so by the time we come to verse 13 and 14 in the first chapter, he begins to have loss of all his possessions, and he was one of the richest men in his land. So you imagine, even though you're not the richest man or woman in your land, you imagine if you wake up tomorrow and you have nothing that you own today. And then not only that, by the time we come down to verse 18, 19 and following, his 10 children were all in one house together and a storm came and, and blew the house in and now all of his children have died. And then Satan and God have another talk and God allows Satan to touch him. And so now this man is sitting in, in sickness, balls from, from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And remember, his wife's not even going to support him now. And when we read a little further, we find out his friends are not even going to support him. And so here is a man that, that has lost almost everything. He does still have his life, even though he's very sick. And the good thing is he still has his faith. But his friends come on the scene. And I'd like for us to read the second chapter in verse 11, 12, and 13. Now when Job's 
three friends heard of all of the adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz from Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Now that, that's a good thought, isn't it? We're, we're going to go and, and this man is going to be mourning. You know, the, the, the idea of grief is when it is personal to us and mourning is when we make it public. And I know sometimes people that are grieving, they're not ready to make it public. But it's good for you to know that usually that's healthy. At some point, it is good to be able to tell someone, or at least some of your closest friends, hey, I'm having a really difficult time right now. And so then you've taken grief that is very personal, and you've started to share it. And so now they have the opportunity to mourn with you. And in that, there can be a great comfort. And so, so this, this is what these friends decide. We're going to go and we're going to mourn with him. And so in verse 12, And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, this, this is how pitiful the situation is of his sickness and his loss, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on their head toward heaven. Now, I know that may seem odd to you, but that would have been their culture of their day to say, I am sharing in your loss. And, and that would have been the signs of mourning. And so that would have been a very, very supportive thing for them to do to share in his pain. And so in verse 13, so they sat down with him. See, they're going to stay there by his side. They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was great. That's the greatest support Job got. Because when they started to open their mouth, they accused him of doing some kind of evil thing that God would allow all this to come on. In other words, we have to figure out a way to justify this. We have to figure out a way to make it okay that it has happened. And when we read the book of Job, we find out that there's a lot of things we'll never understand on this side. And that there's a lot of trust that we have to put in God to realize that there are things just too wonderful for us to understand, even in the midst of loss. And that's what the last chapter says. It's an amazing, amazing story. So we go back to John, the 11th chapter, and we see that, that these women were blessed. Because even though they went through a tremendous loss of their brother dying, they had a Jewish community that came to them to simply be there and support them and to mourn along with them. But I'd like for you to notice, and, and we, we will not uh, take the time to heavily develop this, but if you have your Bible open, you can scan with me. You notice here in John, the 11th chapter in verse 20, Martha comes out, and as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, remember we talked about this morning how they both started with the very same sentence? And so she starts with this sentence, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now she continues, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, 
I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Her theology and understanding of the end of time is beautiful here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now just, just hang on to that. Let's, let's just think about how here is a woman who is grieving the loss of her brother. And what does Jesus do? He begins to speak to her very logically about the hope that is to come. And it all started with that one sentence. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Okay, now let's, let's study the other sister. And, and you see where we're going with this? Do you, I, I want you to see how people grieve differently and how Jesus handles two sisters, lost the same brother. Notice how he handles each of them differently because each grieves differently. All right, so let's pick up in 28 and we'll get to Mary here. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town. Remember, this was a little town two miles east of Jerusalem. So he hadn't quite entered into Bethany yet, but was in the place where Martha met him. So you, you have that picture. Martha goes out, she meets him, and then you can imagine there was probably a dialogue of, hey, I'll wait here, go get your sister. And so she goes back, she goes inside the house where she's sitting with all the Jews that had come to mourn, and she secretly, hey, Jesus is out, such and such location. And so she goes because she wants to meet Jesus. And, and so now she goes back to meet him. Verse 31, then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, notice the difference. She fell down at his feet. Envision this. Don't just see words in the Bible. Envision this. She's been waiting for Jesus. He was going to save her brother's life, but he didn't get here in time. She falls down at his feet. Imagine a grown woman just falling at Jesus' feet. And she says the same words, but they would have probably sounded a little different from her sister. Lord, if you'd have been here. Imagine the tears flowing. Imagine her crying. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Isn't that a striking difference? Martha comes out and meets Jesus and did you notice what's not with Martha? Let's rephrase that question. Did you notice who is not with Martha? She comes out to meet Jesus alone. Wait a minute. I thought the Jews had come into their house to comfort them. You ever seen people that they'd rather grieve alone? You ever seen people that 
that they kind of want to step back? And have you ever seen other people that they like to stay right in the middle of a group of people? Which one's right? There's not a right and wrong there. But what we see when we read this chapter is we see two sisters that are grieving in very different ways. Martha can get up and she can walk out of the house and nobody even follows her. She can go out and have a discussion with Jesus and, and it's very theological and, and it's pointing towards eternity and, it, and it, it's very beautiful and it's about the resurrection and Jesus engages her in that way. She goes back and tells her sister and her sister is going to go out privately. And you can imagine her kind of getting up and kind of quickly rushing out of the house and because of her personality is different and because she's grieving differently, immediately Jews stand around, we've got to go with her. I guess she's been crying here. Now she's going to go to the tomb to cry. Let's go and support her at the tomb. And then that conversation that begins the same with Jesus was not exactly the same. She's on the ground really, really weeping. And Jesus does not say to her, Mary, you look like you're not very faithful at this moment. Why, you know that your brother's going to have a resurrection one day. Why, why don't you hold your chin up? No, his approach with her, his approach with her is very different. She wept. Jesus wept. I need to learn that there is no clean, crisp way that you can define how individuals grieve. Or even how you could say this is the way to grieve. Because grief is as individualized as the individual. And almost even as individualized as the specific loss to that individual. Why am I saying that? The next time you're about to give advice to someone that's lost a loved one about what they ought to do because that's what you did, I urge you to bite your tongue. It might have worked for you, but that may be the last thing they need. Just because you cleaned out the closet one week after the death and that really helped you out, that may be something that someone else literally couldn't recover from. Your friend may need to wait a year or two to do that. Maybe it helped you to have 15 or 20 people around you. And your friend maybe just needs to be alone a little more often. You're not right and them wrong or them right and you wrong. It's the difference in the way we grieve. And so as we start wrapping this up, I just want you to think about, we just focused on two women, and I know we mentioned it, but I want to close with a focus on this but focus on Jesus. The two women grieved differently and Jesus grieved differently with the two women. Martha, I get it. You're logical. You need to talk through this. Let's talk through it. And I want to tell you about who I am. I want to give you hope. I am the resurrection and the life. That's an important conversation to Martha. It ought to be an important conversation to any of us. But then you, you come up on Mary and what does Jesus do? 
he grieves with her in the way she's grieving. And you know what? That's probably about the best friend we could be. I'm not going to come to you in your grief if I'm really a good friend and tell you how to grieve. If I'm really a good friend, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to grieve along beside you in the way you are grieving. Now, the golden question that's oftentimes asked, well, when is grief unhealthy? When whatever you're doing hurts you or it hurts someone else. And if it's not hurting you and it's not hurting someone else, it can be healthy grief. And so if you don't want to wash the sheets for six months, don't listen to what everybody else says. Don't wash the sheets. You want to you leave the porch light on for the next year? Don't worry about it if everybody thinks you're crazy. If that helps you, leave the porch light on. If you want to be around large crowds and other people don't understand that, or, or you'd like to have some alone time, but what about if your alone time becomes so much that you say, I don't want to be at worship? That's becoming unhealthy, isn't it? I don't, I don't want to go to Bible class. That could be unhealthy, couldn't it? You see, the, the rule we have to hold ourselves to is, I'm not going to allow the grief to harm me spiritually, physically, emotionally, even though it's a horrible burden emotionally. So don't hurt yourself and don't hurt other people. I'd like to close by reading to you out of Psalm 46. Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, we have a reminder of how great our God is. The psalmist is going through a difficult time and he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, he, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. You know, he's probably not describing what the earth does at that point. He's probably using those things as metaphors to describe what his emotions are. Like if I said to you, have you ever had a time that felt like that your world shook? Have it ever been a time in your life where it just feels like that, that mountains could slide off into oceans describing your emotions, describing how unsettled you feel? And any of you that have been through grief, you're saying right now, oh, I get it. I've been there. I'm there. I get it. What do we do in those times? Notice that first verse again. God is our refuge. Refuge is a safe house, a safe place. The world can be very dangerous. The world can be hard to survive. What are we going to do when it's just hard to get through a day? Run to your refuge, the safe house. Well, but my problems are big. My, my grief is huge. Notice, our God is our refuge and strength. His safe house is so strong because He is so strong. He is our safe house. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He is a present help in times of trouble. What good is help if it's on the other side of the state? When you have a flat tire... 
You may know 10 people that could help you just like that, but the problem is none of them are close. What good is help if it's not close? Christ, our God, is a present help. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Oh, there's many places we can turn, but the place we must turn is we must turn to God. And we ought to be able to turn to God's family. I almost feel like now I ought to give the apology. So oftentimes, we goof it up. We don't see the pain that we ought to see that you're carrying. We don't say the words that we ought to say. We don't come and sit beside as we ought to. And all we can say at this moment is we're sorry. And we hope that we can be the brother and the sister that you need, that will be a support, and help you stay in the very present help of our God. I'd like to close in prayer. And before I do, I know that this by no means would encompass all the hurt that, that we would have. But this past calendar year, in our church family, these individuals have passed away. And we read these names, obviously thinking about these individuals, uh, but also at this time to be thinking about their families. Donovan Walden, Ray Jones. Doyle Boucher, Dovey Bush, Marguerite George, Guy Hatley, Rabel Vaden, David Malicote, Frank Hazelwood, Betty Morris, Alice McCullough, Gordon Rice, Helen Van Hook, Sarah Matthews, June Merriweather. Our Miss Ann Craddock will be passing away probably in just a few days that is also a dear lady in our family. Let's bow. Most gracious God, we thank you for being powerful and giving us a place of refuge. And God, we pray for each of the families that we have just mentioned, their family member that has passed away. And we pray, God, that they would find strength in you, and especially during this difficult time of the year, to experience and to be aware of loss. God, we pray as you tell us in 2 Corinthians that you're the God of all comfort who can comfort us in all of our tribulation. And we remind you of that promise, and we beg you to be with them. And with all the others in this room that are hurting because of losses in their life, whatever the loss is. God, we pray for ourselves as a church family. We pray that we truly will have hearts and eyes to feel and to see what your son saw and did and felt while he was on this earth. God, his compassion is such a wonderful example for us. And our prayer is that we would be compassionate people. God, help us to stop trying to run from pain. 
and help us instead to walk with you and realize that you're greater than anything that we face. God, we thank you for this church family here of yours at Mount Juliet. And our prayer is that we will never let pain and loss and challenges and disappointments turn us away from you. God, we know that we're never the same after tremendous losses. And our prayer is, instead of that being further away from you, our prayer is that we all will grow closer to you during those times. God, we're thankful for Jesus, the resurrection. And we're thankful for the hope and the peace that we have through him. And so your son's name we pray. Amen. We're about to sing a song of encouragement. If we can help you take steps closer to God, He truly is a strong refuge. And no matter what we are, if it's sin in our life and disappointments and challenges, God can help us. And if we can help you with that, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ or ready to come back,